0: John chapter 4. We made it through John 3. I don't really remember how long we took in John 3, but we were in John 3 for a little while. Uh, Not as long as Kyle thought we were going to be in John 3, but we were in uh, John 3 for a few weeks. Okay? Three or four, I think. Uh, Now, Today, we're starting John chapter 4. And John chapter 4 is another incident, another uh, moment where Jesus meets an unexpected woman at a well. Amen. Now, to us, it seems unexpected. But we'll find out while we're reading this that Jesus had a plan to go there. Amen. Not only did Jesus know he was going there. To meet this lady, Jesus knew he was going there to talk to other people, and he was on his way somewhere else because he had to go back to Canaan in Galilee, okay? There was a purpose for this visit, but so often as it is in our life, God shows up unaware. Can I get an amen? How many of you were just going about your regular, everyday life, okay? Okay? You were going to work, you were going to school, you were just doing normal stuff. And then all of a sudden, God showed up. Can I get an amen? Amen. Because the reality is, no one ever really goes looking for God on their own. Can I get an amen to that? Every one of us needs spurred on. Every one of us, God has to draw. Every one of us... God has to open our eyes, has to send somebody, has to send uh, a a, a circumstance, has to send uh, difficulties, whatever it takes. God uses those to say, here I am. Amen. We come to a portion of scripture that just that thing happens. This woman going in the middle of the day to go get water, which is unusual because women did not go in the middle of the day by their self to get water, okay? If you did that in that society, you were frowned upon. Amen? So the purpose of this meeting is very clear. This woman, this woman who although she knew something of the Messiah, was living her life however she wanted to. How do I know that? Because she had five husbands, and the man she's with now is not her husband. Now, if that doesn't say I'm living however I want, I don't know what does. Okay, because I have a hard time when you hear people say, I'm living for God, I'm living for God, I'm living for God. But your life doesn't look like you're living for God. Unless there was repentance the other four times, I have a hard time believing you. Can I get an amen? The realities. That this woman is doing things that are commonplace in our day and age. How many Christians do we know that just go to church and, you know, Oh, this is my fifth or sixth husband. And, oh, no, I was a Christian the whole time, every time. Now, now I've got a problem with this understanding that you can be a Christian and then just continually commit adultery. Okay? At some point, the adulterer has to stop being an adulterer. Just like a murderer has to stop murdering. Okay, There's no difference between adultery and murder in the eyes of God. Can I get an amen? They're both sin. They both need forgiving. They both must be repented of. they They both must be ceased. Amen? Now people think this is funny And you might laugh when I say this But I'm going to ask you a question And I'm being serious when I ask this If a murderer came in this church And said You know I've killed people and, and, And I just killed somebody yesterday And meet the next person I'm about to kill But I'm a Christian Now why? Hold on a minute, why? Because the 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 realities of the statement that you make Are going to condemn you Because if your answer is Oh they could be a Christian You're arguing against scripture Paul said let the thief stop stealing And work with his own hands To provide for himself That's a thief that comes to Christ Must stop stealing Amen. The murderer that comes to Christ must quit murdering. Amen. But somehow we, we think that some sins are okay to continue doing. And other sins are, are oh, you know, those are really bad, Ruth. we got to stop those. But we can't, we, you know, this other one, you can't judge them, brother. You can't, can't judge them. Don't judge them. Really? Really? I loved it in this church. And you'll remember this conversation because there was a lady sitting on the front row that was absolutely astounded by Jesus' words when we read through Matthew 5. Because in Matthew 5, Jesus talks specifically about divorce. And he's very candid about divorce. And he says... That if any man marries a divorced woman, he commits adultery with her, causes her to commit adultery. That was Jesus' words. And then we, but in our society, we go, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. No, I'm not saying adultery or fornication or, or, or divorce or like some unforgivable sin. But the Christian who's born again must at some point say, okay, there's a pattern that I've lived under and this pattern has to stop. If you don't feel that conviction, I have a hard time believing that you have met this man at the well. I have a hard time believing that the man that's at this well that gives you living water that wells up in you into eternal life has really came into your life. So let's begin in John chapter 4. We're going to read to verse 10. That's That's all the father that we're going to get today. When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize, but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. Now I've got a map here that really helps me when I'm seeing, but I want you to understand that that Judea is right here, and Jerusalem is in Judea, and then Galilee is way up here, north, okay? And then in between, there's this place called Samaria, okay? So when it says he left Judea and went to Galilee, he couldn't go straight to Galilee. He either had to go around Samaria or through Samaria. There's only two routes, through The place that could make you unclean and then you'd have to go and give offerings and sacrifices and wait seven days to even go to the temple because you were unclean. Or you could go around, cross the Jordan, go up the other side of the Jordan and go back into Galilee from above Samaritan. So when it says he left Gal- or Judea to go to Galilee it's not right next to each other there's stuff in between them okay that's like trying to go to Texas without going through Oklahoma from Coffeeville. okay like you're going to have to go way out of your way to get around to Texas okay or you're going to go straight through okay now I don't care how much you don't like OU or if you do like OU okay some people don't like the Longhorns okay which is why they don't to particularly go to Texas a whole lot. but <laughs> Anyway, I, I, I'm not an OU fan, but I'll drive through Oklahoma, okay? I'm not driving all the way around to get to Texas, okay? It's not going to happen. It, it, it won't. I, money financially makes no sense, right? Practically, it makes no sense, okay? But there's something in between Galilee and Judea. Now Jesus, uh, verse 5, Then cometh he unto the city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. And Jesus said unto her, "Give me to drink." Now I don't know about you, but uh, I know the women in this church. And if you go in the kitchen after we're done and we go in there to eat, and you just look at one of them, and go, "Give me a cup of water, lady." Give me a drink. Give me a drink, woman. Now I just want you to know that this is not the context of this verse. Jesus didn't go up there and go, hey, woman, give me a drink. Okay? When you called somebody woman in those days, it was not a derogatory term, okay, like it is today. So it's not rude, and I want you to get that out of your head while we're reading the story, okay? For his disciples had gone away unto the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest a drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith unto thee, Give me a drink, thou would have asked of him, and he would have given thee living, water. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would bless the reading of your word. We pray, God, that you would help us to have eyes to see, help us to have ears to hear, and help us to have hearts that would receive this message today. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would lead us into all truth, that you would guard our hearts and minds, and that you would teach us these truths we ask this in Jesus name amen and amen now i'm going to start back from the very beginning number 1 the 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 pharisees had been keeping tabs on john the baptist and a matter of fact they had already came to john the baptist and they said who are you that you're uh, baptizing anyone Right, they wanted his credentials. You know, what Bible college did you go to, Pastor? What what seminary was you at? Uh, you know, where's the, who who did you get ordained through? That's what they were asking. What Pharisee school did you go to? What 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 uh what lexicon did you use? Which which book of uh, of of Greek did you study out of? Study out of. That's the kind of stupid questions they were asking. Okay. All that stuff is good. Okay. There's nothing wrong with lexicons. There's nothing wrong with Greek books. Learning Greek. Nothing wrong with going to seminary. But going to seminary does not give you the calling of a pastor. Doesn't give you the calling of a preacher. It helps equip preachers and pastors. And I would dare to say... That just because you can go to school and pay for a seminary education does not mean that God actually called you to be a pastor or a preacher or a teacher. Just because you grew up in a family that had enough money to pay for you to go to seminary doesn't mean that God called you to do that thing. Matter of fact, I know a lot of people who are a lot smarter than me that probably ought to just quit being pastors altogether right now. Watched over the last two years, men who had doctorates, men who had masters of divinity, men who studied and went to school for six, eight years, who have now renounced their faith and say that they're no longer Christians. This is the kind of idiotic thinking that has crept into the church to make you think that seminary or 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 education or or any of those things actually qualifies you to be a pastor, to be a teacher, to be an elder in the church. None of that means anything if God says no. None of it. So often we become like the Pharisees, though. What's your credentials, Pastor? Now, I'm telling you this from a pastor who's went to churches all the way across the state of Kansas. Mike drove with us to one of them. After I preached that morning service, we sat there, and they asked question after question after question after question. Where'd you go to school? I didn't. Well, who? Where'd you Where'd you get a—what what kind of education do you have? None. But at that point, I've been preaching for quite a while. Been preaching a little longer now, since that was in two thousand seven. Been preaching a little longer now, but we went to ask you all them questions about where's your education, the Bible, where'd you study in my bedroom, on my knees. In prayer, reading my Bible faithfully every day, not just reading my Bible, but believing my Bible and letting my Bible instruct me on how to live my life. Amen. But that's what the Pharisees were doing. It says they were keeping tabs on Jesus so much that they knew that Jesus was baptizing more people than John was. In other words, they were going, okay, well we got this John the Baptist guy in custody now. This other guy, Jesus, is doing even more than he was doing. So we gotta keep our eye on him now. And that's what people do. They go, oh, I wonder what Kevin's doing over there. I wonder, wonder what wonder what Tammy's got going on over there. I wonder what Kyle's got going on. That's the problem with anybody that's looking at anybody else's stuff. Though Jesus himself did not baptize, but his disciples. Now, John makes it clear that Jesus wasn't the one baptizing, but his disciples were baptizing. This is a big deal. Why is this a big deal? Because Jesus has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Jesus appointed it to his disciples to baptize these in his name, right? Now, with that being said, does that mean Jesus couldn't have? Nope. But John clears the air and says he didn't. Amen? So nobody could walk around and go, well, Jesus baptized me himself. Peter baptized you. So I'm more blessed because... Jesus baptized me, and Peter baptized you. Later on, they have them dumb arguments, because if you read your New Testament long enough, Paul gets into a conversation because some of the Jews said, well, I follow Peter or Cephas. I follow Cephas, and one says, I follow Apollos, and one says, I follow Paul. And he said, I'm glad I didn't baptize any of you people. Amen? We can all turn into Pharisees real quick. Pharisees were keeping tabs on Jesus. And it says and he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. Now watch Jesus' words because the Bible interprets itself very clearly. Okay. And he clarifies where he's going and what's in between. Can I get an amen? He said in verse uh, 3, he says he left Judea and departed again into Galilee and he said, he must needs go through Samaria. Amen? Now, first of all, did he have to go through Samaria? No. Not technically. Like, to get to Galilee, he could have went around, right? He could have went across the Jordan, traveled up the east bank of the Jordan River, and then crossed back over into Galilee and bypass Samaria completely. Right? He could have done that. Now most of us would have just said, man, that, that would be dumb just because you're going way out of your way. Just like he's going to Canaan. He's going back to Cana of Galilee. Remember in, in, in chapter 3, he does a mir- or chapter 2, he does a miracle in Cana. And then he leaves Cana and goes to Jerusalem for Passover. He talks to Nicodemus, and now he's going back to Cana. Okay? He could have went back to Cana and went around, but it didn't make any sense, right? Now, I believe John puts this in here for a specific reason, and that specific reason is this. Jesus had a divine appointment in Samaria. Jesus is not just saying, I must go through Samaria Like, I must go through there because it's way quicker, and I gotta get back to Cana Galilee. Didn't say any of that. He just says I must needs go through Samaria. Why? Because that woman at the well, and not just her, because many Samaritans believe on him. Many. Find that out next week, okay? So you gotta come back next week. The week after that, and you'll get this whole chapter, okay? (laughs) Amen. He said, I have to go through Samaria. I want to read a, a little note from our King James study Bible here. Uh, it says, must needs may indicate that Jesus' itinerary was set by the sovereign plan of God. Okay, and there's a few other places where Jesus says something like this. So if you will, turn to John 9 with me. John chapter 9. And we're going to look at verse 4. Let's read verse 3 just for context, okay? And Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest to him, or in him, excuse me, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. He said, I must work the works of him who sent me. In other words, Jesus didn't come down here to do his own will, but to do the will of him who sent him. Amen? So Jesus didn't flippantly just walk across the countryside and go, well, I'm going to go here, and well, I'm going to go there. Jesus didn't just walk around, like by the seat of his pants, uh, just flippantly deciding to go places. Jesus came down to execute a plan that God the Father gave him. And this is part of the plan. Guess what? If you're saved, (laughs) you're part of the plan. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. Let's go to one more place. I want to I show you that this is normal talk for Jesus. Go to uh, John 10. Uh, John 10, verse 16. Very important portion of Scripture. He said, I have sheep. Oh, excuse me. I. And other sheep have I, which are not of this fold, Also, uh, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Do you see that? He said, I must find them. Amen? I must bring them in. Amen? This must is indicating divine planning on God's part. Go to uh, John 12. John 12 verse 34. And the people answered him, We have heard out of the law that Christ abideth forever. And how sayest thou the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this son of man? Notice that Jesus is talking about himself, that he must be lifted up. Amen? What's this an indication of? His crucifixion, obviously, right? Verse, uh, go to John 20. I'm going to show you that John uses this language all throughout his epistle. And he's doing it because Jesus did not just come down here happenstancely doing things. He came down here to fulfill a purpose. Amen. Now, verse 9 of chapter 20. For as yet they knew not the scriptures that he must rise again from the dead. Are you seeing this yet? Must. 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 Whenever this word must is in here, it's not put in there by the King James people just to sound good. Okay? It's put in there because the purpose, the the portion of this scripture that has the Greek here is telling you he must go through. He said, I must needs go through Samaria. Why? Because there was destiny in Samaria. There was people in Samaria that needed to hear the gospel. And it's funny that most Jews would have considered those Samaritans Gentiles and unbelievers, unclean people, right? Which is why the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Can I get an amen? Now watch this. I'm going somewhere with it. We're going to ramp this up here in just a minute, okay? <clears throat> Verse. Let me read a note I wrote first. <laughs> Get ahead of myself. Number one, divine destiny, providence. God's sovereign plan is at work. God's sovereign plan was at the well and in Samaria, and it was back in Canaan. Number two, why did Jesus go through Samaria? Because it's the shortest route. Come on, let's be practical, right? Just like I don't want to drive all the way around Oklahoma. Can I get an amen? I don't want to have to drive over into Missouri and then drive down through Arkansas and then drive down into Louisiana and then cut back over into Texas. I don't want to have to do that. Amen? Amen? So to avoid doing that and taking that long of a trip, I'm gonna drive straight from Coffeyville, Kansas to, to, to uh oh my goodness, now I can't Louisville, Texas, where my grandparents live. I'm gonna drive straight there. I ain't driving around, I ain't making Amen. Why did Jesus go through there? Destiny, number one. Number two, it's the shortest route. It's the most practical way to get there. Amen. Jesus is like, do I really want to go all the way across the Jordan? Go all the way up the east side of the Jordan River and then come back across here? Or do I just want to go through the hill country here where it looks pretty nice, get a scenic view, and and end up in, in, in Sychar where I can meet this lady and save a whole bunch of people? Amen? The most practical way to go. God is practical. God isn't out here thinking of just the absolute hardest way he can do things. And then go do that. Okay. More often than not. It's the easy. The, 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 the things that are most simplistic to do. That God uses. Amen. Like you. Like me. Come on. Can I get an amen on that? <laughs> if God used complicated things. He picked the wrong preacher. Because <laughs> I'm not complicated. Amen. All right, number five. Then cometh unto the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now I want to talk about this for a minute. This city named Sychar. The word Sychar means drunken. Okay, drunken. I don't know what. I don't know if that's uh, uh, an allusion. That they're using because the word means drunken and Jesus shows up there and offers this lady living water, okay? But I can pretty much tell you that uh, prostitution and adultery pretty much go hand in hand with drinking and, 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 and carousing, okay? So I'm pretty sure they didn't just show up at the house and go, hey, let's do this. It's probably more like we're going to have a drink or two because I don't know that any person could just cheat on their spouse sober. And if they can, they're real messed up. Can I get an amen on that? Now, that doesn't have anything to do with this scripture. And that's not a note that I want you to write down and say, oh, the pastor said they were all drunk in that town. No, I didn't say that. I just said the name of the town means drunken. Okay. The name of the town means drunken. Probably another name for the town of Shechem, which is the town that uh, Jacob founded. Amen? The town that Jacob built, Shechem. I uh, have a little note in the King James Study Bible here. I want to read on this. It says, Sychar was located on the east of mountains Gerizim and Ebel. From Genesis 48, 21 through 22, and Joshua 24, 32, it was inferred that Jacob gave to his son the land of Shechem, which he had bought from the sons of Hamar, Genesis 33:18 18 through 19, and which later served as Joseph's burial place, see Exodus 13:19 and Joshua 24, 32. So this is important because this place has history not only in Jewish understanding but also in the Samaritans' understanding because the Samaritans did not hold to the whole Old Testament. They didn't believe all of the Old Testament was the scriptures. They believed the Pentateuch was the scriptures, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, and Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Amen? They believed those five books were the infallible word of God, and they believed that. They didn't believe the prophets. They didn't believe all the other books of the Bible. Okay? Now, that's to their own detriment because if that lady would have known those things, then maybe she would have realized the first time Jesus started talking to her who this was. Amen? Amen? And his reference to, if you would have asked me, I would have given you living water. That reference would have been understood if she would have read the prophets. Amen? But she wasn't. And she didn't. Because she didn't know them. Amen? Now, the land of Sychar is at this place where Jacob supposedly built a well. Okay? I want I want to clear this up. There's no biblical evidence that Jacob dug a well here, okay? What she's referring to is a Samaritan uh, folklore, okay? A Samaritan story, a tale that Jacob was the one that dug that well. We don't have any biblical proof that Jacob dug a well here. We know that Jacob did own this land. We know that Jacob did give it to his son, Joseph. Amen. Now, some people think that Jacob did dig the well, and this may be the very well that Joseph got thrown into. Okay? Remember the story of Joseph? Thrown in the well, sold into slavery, goes to house, gets put in jail, false accusations, and then goes the second in all of Egypt. Amen? That same Joseph, this is the Jacob, Israel, and Joseph, that's who we're talking about. Amen? So all of this means something to the Samaritans and all of this means something to the Jews. Amen? Now immediately when Jesus opens the conversation, when Jesus initiates the conversation, it is obviously shocking to this woman because of the cultural boundaries or the cultural dynamics of the day. The Jews who lived in Israel were part of, you know, Jerusalem and the the Israelites in Judea. Okay? They believed they were the Jews. They were God's chosen people. Now, the Samaritans, on the other hand, were Jews, but they were half-breed Jews. They married the, the, the people of the land, and they picked up the practices of the people of the land. So they mixed the Jewish faith with the faith of those people from Canaan. Amen? And that's why they felt they were unclean. That's why they didn't have any dealings with them. Now, we hear all of this kind of stuff, and we forget that we see this happen every day. Can I get an amen? Well, you know, uh, you're a Baptist. I just don't know if I can really hang out with you, you know. Or, or, or no, you believe that one thing, you know, Pentecostal person, you know, uh, Assemblies of God, man. I can't hang out with you. You're not right. You're not as good as we back saw, right? Don't we do that? That's exactly what's happening here. These people did not worship some other false god. They had a they had a temple on top of the uh, uh, of of uh, what in the world is that Bethel? They had a temple at Bethel. That temple at Bethel was not. There to worship any other god except the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's what that temple was for. Now, other people had misused that temple and worshipped other gods there. For sure they did that. But they did that in Jerusalem too. When the when Solomon's temple was destroyed and the prophet come back and he built the little tiny temple that they started worshipping at and then that Herod would eventually add on to and build the temple that we know was around in Jesus' day that prophet had went through Israel and cleared out All the false gods, all the idols, all throughout Israel's past, they had set up Asherah poles and temples to Baal and temples to this God and that God. And this is the reason that God sent them into captivity over and over and over. Because Israel, like me, like you, are constantly desiring anything But God. But will be so puffed up enough to say, well, they're Samaritans. Give me a break. (laughs) Amen. Well, they're assemblies to God. Well, when you get perfect, you can let me know, and then I'll go tell them that I found perfect. Until then, maybe you ought to pray for them. Maybe you ought to realize they need God just like you need God. They may not be perfect just like you're not perfect. And I've said this once and I'm going to say it again. If you think that you have no more need to learn about God or learn the things of God, you think you've arrived. I'm warning you, you are farther from God than you have ever been in your life if that's what you think. Details like this continue to prove John's authorship. Look at verse 8. For his disciples had gone away into the country or the city to buy meat or food. Amen. That word meat isn't like, oh, they went to just buy some, you know, uh, ham steaks or something. It was food. Okay? That word in the context right there, food. That, it's not telling you what kind of food. It's just food. Amen? That's just the 1611 version of we went to go get McDonald's. Okay? They went to go get food. They carried money with them to go buy food because it's easier just to go buy food than it was to carry food in the heat of the desert. Can I get an amen? But this also proves over and over that John was witness to these things and knows why the disciples weren't there. Amen? John's writing from this position and gives you this detail so you know, you know, Jesus didn't just run ahead of everybody and then, you know, all of a sudden Jesus is by himself. How did Jesus start walking with the disciples and all of a sudden they're not with him, right? (coughs) If he doesn't put this detail in here, people would be making up all kinds of reasons why the disciples weren't there right just think about it if this detail wasn't there and all of a sudden jesus is talking to this woman and then the disciples come into the story you're like hold on where were they at this whole time right well now you don't have to wonder because he tells you where they were and why they were there amen now get to verse nine we're almost there can i get an amen we're almost to the we're almost to the apex, we're almost to the climax of the story amen? Then the woman of Samaria said unto him, "How is it that thou being a Jew ask of me a drink, which am a woman of Samaria? The Jews have no dealings with Samaritans Now there's a couple things in her response that first of all, I can't believe she was like, hold on. You don't think it's strange that I'm the one at the well by myself in the middle of the day getting water? Because this would have been strange, okay? Normally, the women would either go in the morning or late in the evening when it's cooler, and they would go together. But because this woman lived her life her way, can I get an amen? Living your life your way will find you By yourself, alone, because although people love you, they don't want to be mixed up in that nonsense, okay? Just think about being a friend of a woman who constantly has another new man and another new husband and why she wasn't with the first four husbands and why, you know, come on. You know, after a while, when you have four or five husbands, Maybe they weren't the problem. Okay? You, you Fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice. or fool, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Right? I mean, like, and after the fourth one, uh, where's her pastor? Where's the priest of the temple going, hey, lady? <laughs> there's a problem here. Something's going wrong. Which also indicates that maybe her life wasn't being lived for God because the realities that accompany, let's just say, I'm going to say it like it is, okay? I'm not saying that she was a paid lady, but it's possible, okay? Because there's no other reason given why Jesus, why she's been married five times or why she's not married to the man that she's with now, okay? But I can tell you unequivocally today that most people don't get married to the person they're living with because they don't want commitment and they want to be able to escape whenever they think it's time. That's what they want. I don't want to get married. Then I'm stuck with them. Well, you're already doing the things married people are doing. You might as well get married because if you leave now, irregardless if you have that piece of paper or not, there's sin involved. Amen? So you might as well do the right thing. Amen? Amen? Where's the priest of this temple? At Bethel. Mount Gerizim, why, why isn't this priest counseling this woman about, hey, why have you been married five times? My conclusion would be that the woman didn't go to the temple. My conclusion would be that she didn't submit herself to the ordinances of the temple or Jewish life or what, the, what was taught in the law. Otherwise, she would be married. And her husband would have been with her to get water. Can I get an amen? But the realities of living our life by ourselves for our own, I'm going to do it my way. I'm not going to, oh, it doesn't matter that God's word says don't do this and don't do that. It doesn't matter. I'm going to do it my way. God loves me anyway. Yep, he sure does. And he loves you enough to say, hey, stop doing that. Amen? amen? somehow that's the worst thing a pastor can do to somebody is tell them stop doing that don't do that i wouldn't do that the bible says don't do that and then we get frowned at talked about that's what you're looking forward to kyle just letting you know okay not everybody you'll find some people that love you and listen amen But the reality is most people don't like God, don't want to follow God, and don't want to follow God's rules. Period. Amen. And this woman is obviously living her life however she wants to. And in comes Jesus. Amen. So she says... Who are you? Why why are you asking me? A woman of Samaria. Now she brings up the racial thing, right? Like cultural differences. She's like, oh, it's because you know, today it's like, oh, it's because I'm a Baptist, ain't it? That's why people aren't coming, because I'm a Baptist. They don't like Baptists. It had nothing to do with it, okay? First of all, I'm talking to you because I'm God. You know, he doesn't come out and say that until the end, but this is the reason he's talking to her, right? He's talking to her so she can get saved. He's talking to her so she can come to the knowledge of who he is, amen, which is what being saved is. is coming to the knowledge of who Jesus is, what he came to do, and believing in that. That's salvation, amen? This is exactly what's about to happen with this woman. But she throws out this thing, oh Jews don't have no dealings with Samaritans. This is probably more a rhetorical question that she's asking anyway. Because she's probably beside herself that this man spoke to her first at the well in the middle of the day, right? He initiates the conversation and he's a Jew. The Jews don't have any dealings with Samaritans because every Jew she'd ever met looked down on Samaritans. And now I want to throw the reverse in here because we often think that the Samaritans was just getting the, the raw end of the deal. But the Samaritans looked at the Jews like they were heretics because you can see it in her questioning. Well, you, you Jews say... That over in Jerusalem, on that mountain, is the place to worship. And we here at, 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 at Sechem, at Sychar, we worship over here on the Temple Mount, over here in Bethel. That's where we worship. And that's why she says, right? You say on that mountain is the place to worship. We say on this mountain is the place to worship. And Jesus cuts her off in that conversation and says, Hey, it ain't, there's a day coming when it ain't going to be on that mountain. Or in this mountain, it's going to be in me. Because I want to dissuade the fact, before we even get to it next week, I want to dissuade this fact. Because many use that verse to say, well, Jesus was saying, you can worship God anywhere. That is kind of what he was saying. But what he was really implying was that it's not about that mountain. It's not about that mountain. It's not about where you worship. It's about who you worship. So I would argue for people who say, oh, that means you can worship God anywhere. That's true, but that's not what he's saying. He's saying it's about who you worship. Not where, but who. Amen? Not on the mountaintop of the Baptists. Not on the mountaintop of the, the Assemblies of God. and Not in the Valley of the Lutherans. <clears throat> you know, that's funny. Come on. I love my Lutheran brothers, okay? That's still funny. It's not about where you worship. It's about who you worship. Amen? And here's the thing. Lutherans worship Jesus. Methodists worship Jesus. Assemblies of gods worship Jesus. Baptists worship Jesus. Nazarenes worship Jesus. Christian church worships Christ Jesus. Amen. Here's one you might not even know, but the Amish worship Jesus. Amen. Ain't about the mountain you're on, it's about who you worship. You understand? Lastly, he he answered her. He said, said, if you would have knew the gift of God and who it is that saith unto thee, give me a drink, thou would have asked of him and would have given you living water. See, the problem is, Kyle and I have learned something, that most people are all right with Jesus, the good teacher. Every religion is all right. Even Muslims are all right with Jesus just being a good teacher. They're all right with Jesus just being a good prophet. But the minute that Jesus becomes Yahweh, Elohim, Adonai, you got a problem. And this woman is going to come to the realization that Jesus, first she says, I perceive that you're a prophet. They in the conversation, and she says, I know that when Messiah comes, he'll tell us all things. And Jesus tore the veil back and just told her point blank, I who am speaking to you am he. This woman's life was so dramatically changed that she went to town, told everybody, and the whole town came back out to meet Christ. And it says that many, many Samaritans believed on him. Jesus' words echoed in my spirit when I read them when I was studying this. If you would have knew the gift of God, do you know that gift? Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He said, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that asked thee, you would have asked of him. And he would have given you living water. She gets trapped right here with carnal thinking. Living water. Water that I'll never thirst again. Uh, Give me some of this water that I won't have to come back and draw from this well and I won't have to come here in the heat of the day. But that's not what he's talking about. And there's so many people that get misunderstanding about what the gospel is. They go, oh, yeah, I'm ready to come to Jesus because. You know, everything's going to be better and everything's going to be right in my life and he's going to work every all these things out so I don't have to struggle, so I don't have to uh, 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 fight for my little scraps of the table. But that's not the promise of the gospel. The promise of the gospel is for the life to come. In this world, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. Because i Have overcome the world. Brothers and sisters. You don't overcome. Except by the blood of the lamb. And the word of your testimony. What testimony. That I was at a well one day. Living my own life. Living for my own self. Doing my own thing. Living my own way. And then all of a sudden. God showed up. That well. And why I thought I needed physical help and physical water, I didn't realize that I needed living water from God Himself to be washed clean by His Word, to be washed clean by His Spirit and the truth of who He is. Isn't that what Jesus says? The days coming when they will not worship on this mountain or that one, but those that worship will worship in spirit and in truth. Now I want to clarify, it says they will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. If you knew the gift of God, that made me think of Romans six twenty three and who it is that is saying to you. And I thought about several other verses, but it, it, in this same chapter, you can go back and I've already quoted it where he said, "When she says the Messiah, when he comes, he's going to tell us everything." He looked at her and he said, "I who speak to you am He." Made me think of Revelation 1.17 and eighteen. I am He who lives. Who was dead, yet behold, I live forevermore. It made me think of Revelation 22 and 13. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Made me think of John 1 and 1, which we have already covered. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is who stood before her. This is the person offering her living water. This is the person that we should preach. And this is the message that we preach. That Jesus offers living water to anyone who would believe. You would ask of him and he would give you living water. Revelation 22 and 17. If you would, go ahead and flip your Bible there because I want to read this. I don't want to mess it up. Revelation 22, verse 17. We can read read verse 16 for a little bit of context. This is Jesus as he's finishing the revelation that he's given to the apostle John. He says, I, Jesus, sent my angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root of and the offspring of David, the bright and the morning star, and the spirit and the bride say come. Let him who heareth say come, and let him who is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely with help. This young woman, who we'll find out next week, had five husbands. The man she was with now wasn't her husband. Jesus didn't use this information to condemn her, but to convict her and to make her mind go, Is this guy a prophet? How does he know this about me? How many of you, when you met with God, when God came and found you, it was just so amazing that nothing in your heart was hidden from God, that it was laid bare. And although you felt naked and vulnerable, you also felt... water is reminiscent of Numbers 20, verse 8 through 11, when Moses was getting water from a rock. Except for in this instance, where Moses sinned, instead of speaking to the rock, he struck the rock. Christ is greater than Moses and gives living water to whoever asks. That water in the desert was provision. And I came here this morning to tell you that Christ is the only eternal provision. He has made the only eternal provision that will sustain you. He's the only mediator of eternal life. The only mediator between God and man is Christ. 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 5. He is your hope. He is your provision. And this woman met him face to face. Brothers and sisters, I can't tell you how much easier, how much simpler the gospel would be if we would get out of the way and preach Jesus' words and let them say what they say. Jesus preached the gospel to Nicodemus and told him, you must be born again. Jesus, preaching the gospel to this woman, says, if you would have knew who stood here asking you, you would have asked of him. And he would have given you living water. You can almost see that lady's face as she realizes the Messiah is standing before her. Whether she lived long enough to see the book of Revelations written or not, I know that when she got to heaven, she heard those words. Let them that are athirst come. And drink of the water of life. Freely. Amen. Stand with me if you will. Father God, we just thank you and praise you for the gospel. We thank you that Christ is our mediator. Christ is our hope. Christ is our all in all. Lord, we ask that you would help us. We ask that you would sustain us. We ask that you would encourage us and equip us to share this gospel. To make the proclamation that Jesus offers freely, without price, the waters of life to them that would believe. Lord, we ask that you would bless the food that we're about to partake of. That it would be nourishment to our body as much as the fellowship that we are about to receive as well. Lord, we pray that you would glorify yourself in us, through us, and for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.